You're listening to Episode 8 of the Floxy Hope Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Floxy Hope Podcast. Today we have Josh Arnold on the podcast. Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being on. Thanks for having me. Um, Can you just give us a little elevator speech? Who are you? Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself. The first date speech. Yeah. Yeah, I'm uh, (laughs) I'm Josh. Speed dating with Josh. Um, Yes. I live in Philadelphia. Um, I work in politics. Uh, I currently work uh, as a chief of staff for a Pennsylvania state representative. Uh, Before that, I was running for uh, political campaigns um, for the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, And before that, I worked uh, in finance after graduating college. Um, In my spare time, I like to do normal things, kind of just hang out with my friends, um, you know, play, play sports as much as I can, not as much as I used to, but um, you know, try to stay active as much as I can and just spend time with my friends and family. Sounds good. And um, can you tell us a little bit about, uh, about how you got floxed? Uh, what happened? Yes. So um, in October of 2013, um, I had a sore throat. I went to the doctor um, and, you know, he kind of did the, um, you know, the basic stuff, kind of checking me out. And, um, he, you know, had suspected that I had a throat infection. So <clears throat> I actually, before being floxed, had had, um, several antibiotic interactions previously. So I knew that my, uh, my profile was a little bit skeptical, uh, to begin with. So, <clears throat> um, I had actually, before taking Cipro, which was what got me, had taken Leviquin. Um, and I'd never had really any kind of issue with that and only come to find out later that the, um, you know, quinolones are stored in your body. But, um, you know, having known this, he prescribed me Cipro, said if you've taken, you know, Leviquin, Cipro shouldn't be a problem. Um, so I did, <clears throat> went and filled it. And um, the first time that I took it was on October 15th, 2013. Um, I took it at night and I didn't really notice um, a whole lot of anything. I felt, you know, a little bit weird, a little bit spacey, um, but, you know, not a whole lot of, of difference. Um, so I went to bed, went to work the next morning, uh, and I washed down my second Cipro pill uh, with a glass of coffee, which I come to find out later was an awful uh, idea. So I went to went to work as I would any other day. Um, again, <clears throat> not immediately really noticing any kind of real difference, but I did as the day went on, just started to not feel myself. Um, you know, I started to feel very dizzy. I started to have, um, kind of general aches and pains. I actually remember calling my girlfriend at the time, uh, just to kind of talk on my lunch break. Um, but you know, kind of as the conversation went on, you know, I, I told her, Hey, I just, you know, I just feeling kind of weird today and, you know, not really sure what was going on. So, you know, I started to notice it about halfway through the day after uh, taking my second pill. <clears throat> and uh, after work, I stopped uh, on the way home to get a pizza for everybody to eat. And by that time, I was really just feeling very peculiar is the best way to describe it. Um, so I noticed after, after uh, I ate dinner, I began to feel um, almost discombobulated. That was the really the first real symptom that I felt as though um, I, I just wasn't my body just wasn't making sense the way that it normally would. My legs felt rubbery. Um, I felt as though you know things were just not um, 
you know, not working the way that they normally do. Um, and I'd actually remembered from the time that I had taken um, Leviquin before that there were um, problems with tendons. So I actually remember thinking that initially and not really being all that upset about it, going, oh, well, it could just be the medicine. You know, it's not a big deal. So I ended up breaking out the insert that they had given me with the, uh, with the Cipro, kind of going through all of the, uh, you know, the problems, potential problems that could have come along with taking that medicine. Um, and in there, <clears throat> they had, uh, you know, on the back of the sheet, not really in bold print or anything like that, um, had said that the, the medicine could lead to permanent nerve damage. Um, and that was really the first thing that got me that I saw that and I was like, whoa, I was like, you know, this is not, um, you know, something that, uh, sounds like, you know, what I want to, you know, subject my body to. Um, and I kind of, you know, was a little bit on the fence about continuing to take the medicine cause I did feel sick. Um, you know, come to find out that I did, I ended up uh, stopping after the second pill, uh, which I'm very, very thankful for. Um, but yeah, had I, uh, you know, had I continued with the, um, you know, with the medicine, I'm not quite sure, um, you know, what exactly would have happened. So the next few months after that, um, were really uh, very scary. I started to read more about what had happened. I'd found, uh, different websites of people that had had, um, you know, permanent problems that had had, you know, awful problems. Um, and it really, um, you know, I guess kind of opened my eyes to what could, um, what could happen. But at this point I still wasn't really in panic mode. I was still, um, you know, kind of trying to gather, you know, all the information that I could. Um, and it was really about a week, week or two that went by where I started to have, uh, pains, just odd kind of pains all, you know, it was mostly concentrated in my legs, um, a bit in my forearms as well, but my quadriceps, my, uh, you know, my calves, everything just seemed to ache. And having been an athlete, you know, most of my life, I, I knew what it was like to have, you know, aches and pains after, you know, running and jogging or aches and pains after, um, you know, playing a game of basketball. I, you know, I knew what those, those general uh, pains felt like, and this was something that was, you know, completely different. And it was at that point that I started to really kind of, you know, think to myself, man, I, I really hope that I haven't, you know, permanently, you know, messed with my body at all. Um, and that lasted for, you know, for several months until the, um, you know, the symptoms started to subside, um, you know, before, uh, before kind of ending me up where I am right now. Right. So, so can you say a little bit more about like, how did this impact your life? Um, uh, were you able to do, were you able to work? Were you, um, <clears throat> did it affect your involvement in any sports? Uh, just more about how it affected yeah. your life a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it affected my life in a huge way. Um, I was able to work, uh, but that was only because I was at that point working a desk job where it was essentially shunned upon if you left, uh, left your desk for any you know, period of time. But in terms of just things that were very simple, like walking my dog, um, you, you know, it felt awful. Um, you know, my legs, it just, they felt so tight that at times it just, it was like any step that you took, everything was just going to snap. 
you know, it just felt like, um, you know, even when I laid down, that didn't really fix anything. It still felt as though I was getting just muscle cramps, like the worst muscle cramps you can imagine, um, from doing nothing. You know, I hadn't been, you know, doing, you know, one tenth of the activity that I was used to doing, but yet I felt like I had run a marathon every day. Um, you know, I had, uh, you know, muscle, um, as they call it filibrations or, you know, spasms, you know, all throughout my body. And I had noticed some of that before, you know, ever taking those drugs, but never to the, you know, to the extent in my quads and my feet and my calves, just everything twitching. And the, the biggest indication that something was totally different with the kinds of, um, you know, muscle spasms that I had experienced was that, um, I would have these episodes where my muscle would spasm and my heart would beat out of my chest simultaneously. And it wasn't like, you know, I felt a muscle spasm and then worried about it. And, you know, my heart rate went up. It was, um, you know, an immediate reaction that when the muscle would spasm, my heart would just start to like pound out of my chest. Um, and all of these things, you know, definitely lead to, um, you not feeling as though, you should be doing the things that you were normally doing. Like I said, I would take my dog, you know, for, a, you know, a walk and I would just feel like, you know, my legs would snap or, you know, getting up from my desk just to go to the bathroom was like, man, you know, my feet are killing me. You know, it was all these different, um, you know, sort of strange sensations that I had never felt in a life full of activity that, um, that all of a sudden I felt, from really doing nothing. So it definitely not only affected me physically with the things that I could or could not do, but it also affected me very much mentally in the things that I felt comfortable doing or comfortable not doing because of the implications all of a sudden of doing things that were very simple. Right. Like I, re I remember when I was in the depths of my floxing, um, my coworker, I, I got up to get some pieces of paper off of a copier and my coworker was like, no, Lisa, sit down. I'll get those for you. And I'm like, uh -huh. seriously, like I can't walk to the other room yeah. to get papers off of, off of a copier because I'm just, I'm just so weak and feeble and, yeah. and other people yep. around me could see that. And it yep. was just, it, it was, it was a really, a really bizarre, um, and, and very frightening Yes. For sure. And when we were talking earlier, Josh, you mentioned your experience with an NSAID really setting you back. Can you yep. uh, tell people a little bit more about that? Yes, absolutely. So <laughs> I kind of at the beginning wasn't sure how far to uh, far to take everything. So um, that was in October. Um, at the end of January, about this time last year, um, I ended up seeing um, a podiatrist because the symptoms the nerve symptoms were the first to kind of start to taper off gradually. I would notice that the spasms weren't happening quite as bad. Um, and then the muscle pain did stick around, but what ended up happening, interestingly enough for me, it, initially it affected my quads more than anything. It was just my quadriceps were just absolutely on fire. And like I said, in, in a totally different way than what it felt like, um, to, you know, to have your quads on fire after you do a bunch of squats or after you run, you know, just a totally different sensation, a totally different kind of pain. Um, so when it started to kind of leave my quads, 
it sort of it, it rested in both of my Achilles tendons, and I, I didn't experience any Achilles tendon um, pain up until this point. But when that started happening, and most of the other symptoms kind of you know were at a manageable level, um, you know, I was still very concerned that you know pretty much at any point my you know Achilles tendon could snap, and then you know I would be in a whole other world of problems. So I decided to go see a podiatrist about it. Um, and he had told me that my, my, uh, tendons were very, very tight, um, that he was unable to, you know, to move my foot in certain ways, but that the tendon itself didn't feel overly inflamed. It didn't feel like it was too much of a problem. So he suggested that I do physical therapy at the time. I didn't have any health insurance, so I ended up not doing that. But what I did do was try to kind of ease myself back into, um, you know, some of the activities that I would do normally. So instead of, you know, going and playing full court basketball, I would try and, you know, you know, walk around, I would try to you know, take, um, you know, set shots on a basketball court. And it took about, I would say a month and a half, but generally speaking, um, the pain when, when I started to kind of gradually introduce myself into some of the um, the things that I used to do, um, it started to kind of go away. So after about a month and a half, two months, um, you know, of, of doing things again, I felt pretty good. I'd say I feel, felt about 65 to 75% better. So it was actually a day before the day before my 26th birthday. Um, I had left work early with a stomach bug. Um, and I got over that pretty well, but, uh, I was left with this awful headache, this headache that just would not go away. And I was taking Tylenol and Tylenol wouldn't work. And, you know, so I thought to myself, well, I should probably try ibuprofen. And then kind of in the back of my head, I was thinking to myself, and that might not be a good idea. You don't know what, you know, how this will happen, but still kind of trying to tell myself, Hey, it's, you know, you're over that it's in the past. And I really tried to, you know, leave, um, most everything in the past as much as I could when I started to feel better because I didn't want to stay in that frame of mind. Um, so I took, um, I had two ibuprofen, um, and I could within a half an hour feel all of the symptoms that I had had before come back, even down to the, um, you know, the muscle spasms with the racing heart that happened the next day, the day after I took ibuprofen, the problems with sleeping where I would, um, just not sleep the way that I would, I would wake up with my heart racing. I would, you know, wake up, um, and not be able to fall back asleep because I was in pain or, you know, all these things that I had experienced before, um, they all came back and it was really, that set me back. Um, it wasn't quite as long It was about four or five months <clears throat> after, um, you know, taking Cipro that it took me to kind of start to feel like a normal human being again. But after the, uh, the NSAIDs, it was, um, probably about two to three months. Um, so that really communicated to me, um, even though the, the reaction itself wasn't as bad as the Cipro, it, it spoke volumes to me because it told me that my body had changed, that there was, um, something different going on and that I needed to be careful. And I think, um, you know, that's something that I still carry with me today, that I, I have an understanding that things that used to affect me a certain way won't necessarily do that anymore. 
you know, it can set me up um, to kind of go back right to a place that I don't want to be. And it's a hard thing Very, to, yeah. to think about and to accept and kind of go like, okay, my, my cellular functions are broken in a way that I can't take Advil anymore. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it's just hard to accept on like a kind of ego level. Like yeah. I, oh, yeah. I used to, I used to be able to take Advil like it was candy. I used to be able to take yeah. it to, to go to sleep. Like I'd, I'd yeah. have a little bit of a backache and just like yeah. pop, pop three Advil and yep. go to sleep. And I thought nothing of it. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird adjustment kind of, of going through the, the post flocks mindset of, mm-hmm. of, knowing that your body can get poisoned because who would, yes. who would really think about it before, before you get poisoned, you don't think about the possibility of getting poisoned, yeah. you, know? Yeah. you know, or at least I didn't. And I was, I was 32 and strong. You were 26 and strong. And, um, uh, it, it just, it's, it's just not something that occurs to most people. No. And, um, you know, I think about that. I had mentioned a little bit that I've had other drug allergies, um, you know, before, uh, taking Cipro and, um, you know, so I had experienced a little bit, but, but never anything that, um, would affect me for so long. And that had the, uh, the potential to be permanent. And like another thing that I, uh, <clears throat> you know, that I think about totally differently now is something as simple as a bee sting. Um, you know, I remember this was, uh, probably about seven, eight years ago. Um, I was having a catch a baseball catch with my brother in my front yard, got stung by a bee and, uh, the the sting had, you know, had swollen up by the next day um, because uh, I remember being a little bit allergic to, to bees when I was a kid, but I don't think that was it. It was that I live, um, I don't live in the city of Philadelphia. I live in the suburbs. So we would have a farm right down the street and the, uh, the doctor, same doctor that gave me Cipro told me, Hey, you probably, the, the bee probably landed on a cow patty and then, you know, and then stung you. So you need to take some corticosteroids and you'll be fine. Um, but that was extremely painful. And it was a situation where, um, you know, had I not been able to take, uh, I forget which, which one it was, but it was a pack of corticosteroids. I don't know what would have happened. So now I think to myself, well, what if, you know, this summer I'm out in a field and I get stung by a bee, I'm in that same situation. What am I going to do? Because I'm not going to, you know, even though I'm now 18 months or however long, you know, post-floxing, um, and I feel good, I'm not going to subject myself to, you know, any kind of, anything that's going to potentially put me back there. And that's something that, um, even though physically, you know, a lot of the wounds have healed, um, and I do feel better, um, than certainly than I did before. And I want people to, to have hope that they can feel the same way, but it does change your mindset and it changes the way that you, um, that you look at something as simple as a bee sting or something as simple as, you know, a dental procedure or, you know, if I did have strep throat and I had, I haven't taken any antibiotics since taking Cipro. So I have no idea what that would do. You know, now I've <clears throat> read a decent amount where it says that there are, you know, safe alternatives. And, you know, I guess at some point you have to take a leap of faith, but it changes your mindset. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I <coughs> agree with everything that you said. 100%. Yeah. And, and, <clears throat> and I think that it's also important for people to realize that, um, all of the other people in the world who have not been floxed, they haven't had that shift in perspective. And so, and so it's really hard for people 
to understand what we're what we're going through and why and why someone would worry about a bee sting or a dental procedure or um, or taking ibuprofen. Like they just, it's really difficult for people to understand. And I think kind of a. It, I've I've been so in the floxy environment for for so long that it it I think helps to remind myself every once in a while that that other people don't understand that because shoot I didn't used to understand that you know it never would have yeah. occurred to me that that someone could be hurt by a dental procedure you know right. co- could come out with a chronic illness if they you know you know if everything if everything collides in a way that uh, that that hurts them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and, that's, and not um, that people should be afraid of going to the dentist. I'm just kind of, no. you know, <laughs> I'm no, just and that's saying. what you know. The the kind of mindset that I keep myself in is that I know I won't ever take those drugs again, ever, never in a million years. Um, and I tell any kind of doctor or any kind of dentist or any kind of you know nurse anything about the severity of you know the. Uh, you know, the reaction that I had experienced, um, well before they put their hands on me in any way, shape or form. Um, so I, I kind of try to take solace in that, you know, as long as I stay away from those drugs, I don't think anything will ever be as bad as it was, but it certainly, certainly can flare up and it certainly can take months off of my life where I'm like every morning just, you know, dragging myself out of bed, feeling my, you know, my muscles creak and that's another thing I think that is that is also different. Like I said, having had a little bit of um, information about fluoroquinolones, um, you know, from taking Leviquin before, um, <clears throat> you know, you think, oh, you have a tendon problem. It's not a bit. I've pulled my tendon. I mean, I've, I've played basketball personally since I was, you know, four or five years old. So I know what it's like. I mean, I've dislocated my shoulder, broken my hand, broken my ankle. I mean, I know what it's like to have, um, you know, injuries. And it's like, yeah, you know, it stinks. It's not fun. But, you know, when you break your ankle, you you know, you get it casted up and, you know, you walk on crutches for a while and then you're fine. Or, you know, you pull a muscle, it's, you know, put some ice on it, you know, stay off it for a little bit, you'll be okay. And that's the biggest thing that I guess, and this is sort of an epiphany that I've had more recently because it's still something that's always on my mind, is that unless you've gone through it, you don't understand the difference. It is a completely different sensation. Like I said, having pulled quadriceps from running track, and having, you know, my quadriceps burn and just, you know, feel like I said, literally like they're going to snap when you walk, you know, for absolutely no reason. It's a completely different sensation. So you're right. Unless you've gone through it, it's people can't really identify. Yeah. People, people really have trouble understanding. So can you tell us a little bit about what you, what you have done to, um, recover and to feel better? Yeah. Um, you know, the first thing that I really did that I think is, um, is a gift and a curse, um, for, uh, for people like myself, um, in that, I, you know, I like to get all the details. I like to know, um, you know, everything that there is to know on a subject before, well, usually before I find myself in bad situations, but, um, you know, certainly, um, after having this happen to me, I, I wanted to know, I, I wanted to, find out what, you know, what was happening. So I turned to, um, you know, websites like yours, or I actually, I have an entire, and I would be happy to share this with you. I mean, I'm sure you have, you know, much, much more (laughs) research than I do, but I found, you know, I went to, instead of having doctors tell me, Oh no, it's not that big a deal, you know, whatever. I went to, 
um, find the scholarly articles that where they would do the actual research on people who have, you know, experienced, um, you know, side effects to, um, you know, fluoroquinolones or where they've studied the efficacy and all this kind of stuff. So I have an entire, um, you know, plethora of um, just medical research articles and, and really tried to, um, you know, connect with people um, in any way possible that have gone through, um, you know, similar experiences because I found kind of quickly that, you know, if medicine kind of got me into this jam in the first place and most doctors won't listen to me anyway, it's time to start looking for other alternatives. And, um, you know, so I, I definitely tried to get connected and to find out as much about the issue as possible. Um, and eventually when I felt comfortable and when I felt like it was doing more damage to me personally to sit around and think than to just try and to just try and start moving again, even if it's a little bit every day, that was really when I saw a turnaround. Um, and when that started to happen, it started to change my frame of mind a little bit because I go, okay, well maybe I can't, you know, run a, you know, a full court five on five game right now, but you know what I can, you know, I can walk around a little bit. I can shoot some hoops, you know, take some set shots, you know, do that kind of stuff. I'll do this for a couple of weeks and see where I'm at. And every day that you feel like you do something that you used to do and it doesn't kill you, you feel like you get a little bit of a victory and that kind of mental change, um, you know, really went a long way as well. Um, so those were really the two biggest things where I really tried to research, um, and find out as much as I could and then try to get moving again in any way that I could, in any way that I felt comfortable. And I know that I've been, you know, much more blessed than a lot of people that are going to be listening to this, um, in that, you know, I was able to, I guess, get out before it got too terrible, you know, and, um, uh, you know, so I understand that that might mean, you know, getting out and getting moving might mean something different for every single person. Um, but really, I think that when we're able to try and do even little things, I think it communicates to your brain that, hey, we're going to be OK. You know, we're going to get through this. I, I agree. And you had mentioned that you had consulted with Dr. Cohen. Um, uh I, if if you don't feel comfortable, or if uh, you signed anything saying that you wouldn't no, no. share share what what he said, um, then you know feel free to not. But uh, yeah. but but did uh, Dr. Cohen uh, say anything that was that was particularly helpful that you would like to share with the Foxy Hope podcast? Absolutely. Audience? Well, bef- before he even said anything in specifics that was helpful to me, it was helpful beyond measure to have a person who would listen to you that is of uh, the medical community and not just write off kind of what you're saying. Um, and like I said, I was fortunate that my family doctor was very kind to me and actually had a pretty good, um, prediction for my initial recovery. You know, he had said that, yes, these things do happen, um, but it generally happens to people who take a longer course of the antibiotic, um, and you you probably will recover within a few months, if at the most, you know. And now that totally discounts, you know, the drug interactions, all that kind of stuff that, that ended up happening. So it's sort of you know a fifty fifty 
um, shot that I got from him. But with Dr. Cohen, he really was just um, was very open, listened to me, listened to my concerns. And I consulted him in June of 2014 um, after I had taken, uh, you know, about two months after I had taken um, the ibuprofen. And I was very concerned that that could set off, you know, a worse reaction. Um, than I had experienced initially. And he was able to tell me, no, that probably isn't going to happen, but you do need to be very careful. He said the fact that you had the reaction in, in, in general to the ibuprofen you know, shows that the quinolones are stored in your body, that they're there somewhere, and that they're, you know, if you kind of, you know, step on a minefield, <laughs> you know, it's going to, you know, you're going to have some problems. So, you know, he had told me to um, essentially to, to rest, to take magnesium supplements, um, turmeric for pain. Um, and you know, I have, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't bring the, uh, bring the sheet with me here, but, um, he did, uh, you know, give me kind of some specific guidelines, but I know that he was very into uh, glutathione, um, as well as, like I said, magnesium supplements, calcium supplements, um, as well as, um, you know, some other alternatives, and was very, very accessible. Um, you know, I contacted him. I talked to him a day later, um, and he was very helpful. Said, "Hey, if you ever need anything else, you know, please let me know." Um, I've con- sort of contacted him um, for you know, little brief things that have that have popped up, and he's been more than helpful. Um, and there's actually there's there's another guy. And again, I'm <laughs> I'm sorry, I should have been better prepared. But um, there was one other doctor that I know people had consulted with. Um, who was willing to, uh, you know, willing to, to help out and kind of give some suggestions. So that's what I guess I could tell people that through research, you know, you can find people like that, people that will listen to you and that will do their best to help, uh, and kind of aid you through, um, everything that's going on. And it's really important. Like I think acknowledgement is, is incredibly healing and, um, it, acknowledgement from someone from the, from the medical establishment, you know, it's probably, it, it's, I feel like we shouldn't need it, but 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 we do. Well, you, you know, do in like a we, way. We, we, we hold we hold people who are in who are trained in medicine up to up to a a higher standard, and we and we ask them for advice and for healing, and we trust and we trust their advice. Yeah. And so and so to hear acknowledgement from someone yeah. who's in the medical field, I think is is very valuable. And that's you know it, it's the old saying. You know, the first step to fixing any problem is admitting that there's one in the first place. And, you know, um, that is is huge when it was just like, you know, not having to try and go into somebody and have this mountain of, you know, skepticism already against you before you've even opened your mouth, Um, you know, and just anticipating that and taking that wall down was was huge. So absolutely for someone to. And that's why I was thinking, man, like all these you know, awful diseases, you know, that are, you know, systemic diseases, you know, whatever they may be that are chronic problems that people deal with, you know, I would never, you know, wish, you know, any kind of disease or anything on anybody, especially something that's chronic or, or, um, you know, has the potential to be life threatening or, you know, debilitating. But in some ways I was actually, to be honest with you in the depths of, of when I was floxed, I was almost jealous of that in a way because I was like, I can't even get, I can't even go into a doctor and have a test and have them come back and go, this is what's wrong. This is what we need to do. You know, you're just kind of left in this no man's land 
where no one will listen to you. No one will kind of acknowledge you and what you're going through. And even if, um, they did that, you're pretty much, it's a crapshoot because they can't, um, you know, have any kind of procedure or any kind of, um, you know, treatment guideline, prognosis, anything like that. So we're really left in the dark. And I think that that makes it even harder than people that deal with, you know, um, with some very tough diseases. Yeah. Mysterious illnesses are very lonely Mm -hmm. and, and you're right. Just not being able to have that prognosis is incredibly daunting and terrifying. Just what do you mean? There's no test that tells me what's wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. Why are all the tests coming out saying that I'm perfectly fine? And, Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, it's, it's a bit, it's a bit terrifying to have a mysterious illness illness it, it means that with no prognosis they can't say like well in in two weeks you'll be you'll be perfectly fine because they just don't know right and yeah. and yeah that that is that is absolutely terrifying um yeah. you you had mentioned just kind of some some lessons learned in this in this process uh do you do you want to go over over some of those yeah, yeah absolutely so i think that um you know two big points that, um, that I think, uh, anyone who's, who's listening that might have, um, you know, an, an issue or might be going through a similar situation that you or I went through, um, is that, you know, really we need to stay connected. And I think that will be a catalyst to change because, um, as we kind of bond together and as we kind of share our experiences with one another and, and our community grows, um, we're able to kind of raise up a voice and um, especially working in government, working in politics. I've seen firsthand that that's how you get heard. You get heard when you have power and numbers. And it's awful that, you know, people have to suffer for, um, you know, for this kind of awareness to happen. But, you know, that higher purpose um, and that bigger picture is that, you know, through staying connected, it will help everybody individually to understand that you are not alone and to get, you know, advice and feedback and um, encouragement from people that are going through similar situations. But also it means that, you know, which with each like or with each view, um, you know, looking through, um, you know, articles or, you know, Facebook pages or blogs um, that you're becoming part of the solution instead of part of the problem. And, um, you know, that's how, that's how change happens. So I think that is, um, you know, is very, is very, very instrumental as well as, you know, it's difficult, especially when we're, when we're first floxed to have any kind of trust in, in the medical community. Um, but to not lose faith entirely in doctors, not to lose faith entirely in our, in our health system, because, um, you know, there are people that will listen to you and there are treatments that are available and, and things that, you know, might not be endorsed by your family doctor or by a specialist or a rheumatologist or a neurologist or all these different specialists that we find ourselves going to. But through your own kind of gusto and, and you know, finding people that will listen to you, you can find a lot of help and things that will make things better. Um, and also just to kind of tack onto that, just a positive frame of mind. You know, that was a big thing. Like I said, when I started to get active, just little by little, I didn't focus on, man, you know, a couple months ago, 
I would run full court basketball for hours and I would feel like a million bucks. And now here I am, you know, like the 70 year old guy that's, you know, sitting on the side of the court, just, you know, shooting jumpers, but to, you know, instead focus on, you know, I'm getting back to trying to do that again, to try and, you know, be myself again. And each day that I'm able to do something, um, is a day, you know, better spent doing that than, um, than just sulking, you know? Absolutely. And I think that that's a really valuable point. I want to go back a little bit to what you said about not losing faith in the medical community and how there are treatments available. Um, A lot of people have found a lot of relief through uh, functional medicine doctors. And functional medicine doctors tend to look at things a little bit more holistically and also to look at things like nutritional supplements and IV glutathione therapies, things things along those lines. And it seems to be that... uh, a lot of functional medicine doctors have been willing to look at fluoroquinolone toxicity. Certainly not all functional medicine doctors, and um, there are some who are just as unaware of fluoroquinolone toxicity as traditional as traditional MDs. But uh, but it seems like that is where the tide is turning a little bit. And also right. functional medicine doctors seem to be a bit more aware of things like like uh, mito- mitochondrial function and mitochondrial right. support, um, th- things that you can do to help support your mitochondria, whether that be, whether that be supplements or, or, um, or, or other things. So, mm-hmm. so I, I think that those resources are, are out there. And, um, and, like as as you mentioned when we were talking earlier as well, the science is out there. There are a lot of articles about the dangers of fluoroquinolones, and it's just a matter of doctors reading them and putting them together and understanding that when they see an article about mitochondrial toxicity, that that translates into um, a bomb in the body. Yeah. <laughs> and and really and really just understanding that that that. This effect of the, the drug translates into into this kind of this kind of illness, and Absolutely. the word is getting out. A lot more doctors are understanding and acknowledging fluoroquinolone toxicity than now than it seemed like there were uh, three and a half years ago when mm-hmm. when I got when I got floxed. So yeah. so I think I think we're 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 making some progress. Like people are yeah. people are hearing things. Yeah. And that's another thing. I mean, two points. First of all, um, you know, that was one of the things when I did find all these, you know, scholarly articles that I was talking about that what really shocked me was just as, you know, as an everyday type of guy reading these things and seeing all the evidence that that is really right there and understanding that these drugs are still so very readily available. It's like, you know, they're saying, yes, it, you know, it can, uh, especially in animals or in children, you know, destroy, uh, you know, the ability for, you know, them to grow properly. It messes with, you know, like you said, your mit- mitochondria, um, you know, with your, uh, with your growth, with all that kind of stuff. And, and seeing that, um, you know, I was, I was just like floored. I was like, how, how do, how do people not take this more seriously when all they have to do, like I said, I'm sitting, you know, at a desk on my lunch break and I just Google it and I can find all this stuff that says, you know, that totally justifies or backs up, you know, the way that I'm feeling. Um, but I go to a doctor and they just go, Oh no, you know, it's not, not a big deal. You know, you'll be fine. And it's just, um, you know, it's, it was shocking to me. And, 
um, you know, kind of going, you know, tying into that a little bit is that, you know, in the interim until people, and especially until medical professionals really, um, you know, get their act together in terms of, you know, understanding, uh, you know, this sort of, uh, syndrome better, um, you know, the best advice, and I think this is <laughs> might've come a little bit, a little bit too late, but, um, you know, is for people to really, really listen to their bodies. You know, that's a big thing. Actually, you know, backing up to, you know, when I was first, you know, talking about, um, you know, what had happened to me, I was, I was a little bit like a deer in the headlights because I hadn't really explained, uh, the situation in totality to anybody in, in quite a long time. But, you know, I couldn't, I knew that something was up. I knew that something as much as I just wanted to go, ah, you know, it's not a big deal. I'll just, you know, I'll be fine. Um, you know, I knew something was up and I, and I remember the first night that I did take the pill, I noticed a hive on my arm, just a single hive. And I thought, Oh, maybe something had bit me, maybe whatever. And it did kind of cross my mind. Hey, maybe it was, uh, maybe it was the medicine that you took. And I thought I immediately kind of dismissed it. I was like, nah, you know, that's not a big deal. You know, don't, don't worry about it. But, you know, luckily, you know, even though I did take another pill, I kind of stopped after that because I was, I was listening to what my body was telling me, which is, you know, something is, is really wrong. So in the interim, until we can have, you know, the doctors and nurses and medical professionals kind of take us more seriously, it's kind of up to us to listen to ourselves and to be very um, in tune with what's going on with our own bodies so that we can really ultimately protect ourselves. I agree completely. And kind of as we're ending um, our, our interview, do you have anything else that you'd like to, to add? This is, you've given just great information and a lot of, a lot of really valuable insight, lots of value bombs. I, yeah. I, I appreciate it. Anything you'd like to close with, Josh? Yeah, I mean, like I said, for people to really stay positive, listen to yourself, um, you know, stay connected, not to, um, you know, to, to buy into the hype of, you know, this is all in your head, um, you know, and to, uh, to really understand that, um, that at least from what I can gather and either from, um, you know, whether it be different blogs or, um, uh, you know, articles that I've read or, you know, anything, um, really dealing with this subject, you know, the vast majority of people will see improvement. And that's something that I was so petrified of not experiencing myself, um, but to kind of keep your faith and to, um, you know, to kind of keep working until, um, you know, you get the answers that you want and that you see the progress that you, that you deserve because none of us deserve to have this happen to us. Like I said, you know, mine was a simple throat infection. And then, you know, um, you know, before I knew it, I was, uh, you know, I was in a world of hurt. Like I had never, um, you know, experienced before. And lo and behold, when I stopped the, the antibiotic the throat problem went away anyway. So I probably shouldn't have been on the antibiotics to begin with, but to really just, um, to keep faith and to stay connected with each other and, um, you know, on a higher purpose level to understand that, you know, as we bond together, um, you know, we become part of the solution and that, um, in our lifetimes, hopefully we can see some real, um, some real change. And I can guarantee you, that um, as a, um, a political professional, at least in the state of Pennsylvania, if there's absolutely anything that I can do 
um, or there's ever any kind of um, issue that comes up um, that I can be a part of, um, I would be uh, and will be a tireless advocate um, for these kinds of issues. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So th- thank you very much, Josh. I really appreciate your time and, yeah, and all absolutely. of the value and insight. And, uh, you know, we, we, will, we will make change one person absolutely. at a time, one mind at a time. Um, right. And when you reach public office, one, one law at a time, right? That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> So thank you everyone for listening to the Foxy Hope podcast. If you could please leave a review on iTunes, I will greatly, greatly appreciate it. Also, please share this interview far and wide. Uh, All shares are greatly appreciated. Spread the word about fluoroquinolone toxicity and all of the really just great information that Josh shared. Thanks and have a great night. Thank you.